0: Welcome to Creative Peacemail Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tami Takeishi. Mm-hmm. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Creative Peacemail Podcast. I'm your host, Tami Takeishi. I'm so excited to be here with my friend and artist, Gina Destry. She's a semi-abstract expressionist landscape painter, and her pieces are color-oriented and intuitive, celebrating nature, energies, humanity, womanhood, and growth. And you can find her work at ginadestry.com and I'll be putting the link in the show notes. Gina and I go way back. I remember admiring her work back in high school, and I'm so excited to see how far you've come. So welcome to the show. Thank you so
1: much. I'm excited to be here. And yeah, it's crazy, this reconnecting after all these years. I love it.
0: So this is something I actually never knew yet. So this will be new to me. But who or what inspired you to become an artist?
1: You know, growing up, um, my mom was very creative, although she always said that she wasn't an artist and, uh, she just always made sure that wherever we were, um, that I had some form of a little nook to create in. And so, um, I think she could just see how it made me feel. And so she always made sure that I had some kind of a little place that just felt safe for me to create in. And then also my dad, um he really enjoyed art. His house basically became an art gallery throughout me growing up because he was such an art collector and he took me to lots of galleries and he took me to the Nelson Atkins museum in Kansas city all the time. And I just really, um, I just gained a real sense for a sense of awe for these people who were painting and putting all that they had onto canvases. And I just became enthralled with the idea of doing that as well, I guess. And I had lots of support from them to push me towards that as well.
0: That's wonderful. Do you have any specific memories or art that you remember seeing when you were younger that really inspired you, certain exhibits or artists?
1: There were a couple of specific paintings at the Nelson-Atkins Museum. Um, I have tried to find the one I can picture it clearly in my head. It was of a woman in a white gown and it was satiny and lacy and just the way that her skin was painted and the way that the fabric was painted. And it was so well rendered, but so expressive as well. And, um, it just made me feel stuff. (laughs) And so, um, that specifically is one of the ones that is stands out in my brain And then going to college, I definitely, you know, dove into art history and more, uh, got exposed to more work and really fell in love with the colors of um, Gauguin and, uh, and John Singer Sargent, loved his portraits and the way that he painted as well. And yeah, there's so many, but that's, those are the ones that are coming to mind right now.
0: Nice. If you could visit any art gallery in the world, where what would it be? Well, I visited, I believe it's the
1: MoMA in New York that has all the Monets. I could be wrong if it's a different museum in New York that has a whole bunch of Monets. That's the one I'm thinking of. But I visited there in college, I got to go uh, for a week, and that was... I would just love to go back there again. That would be amazing. Um, And I've also really wanted to go visit the Frida Kahlo Museum in Mexico City as well. I think that would be quite incredible.
0: That sounds fantastic. What is something about you that most people familiar with your artwork um, would not know?
1: I'm expanding my network, expanding the people that I'm that I'm knowing. And so it seems like there's a whole new crowd of people who um, don't know that Destry is my middle name. Um, so I signed my artwork, Gina Destry, but Destry my middle name. Destry was actually the name that my mom kind of had come to her in one of those, like, uh, almost like biblical, your baby's going to be named this kind of moments. She said, she said that she felt this presence and voice and told her this. And, um, and there was some arguments amongst the family about if that was okay or if that was crazy or not. And so ultimately, it ended up as my middle name. And my name, Gina, is spelled with an E because my grandpa's name was Gene. And so, yeah, I just really love the name Destry, though, and needed it to be a part of my artist my artist name, so to speak. So, um, I, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the, the biggest things that people seem to like knowing or <laughs> finding out about.
0: That is really cool, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's always nice to have unique names, right? Exactly, right. Mm-hmm. And this could be art-related or not. But what is a book you've recently read that challenged you? A book that inspired you? And a book that you couldn't put down?
1: Man, I love reading. And this year, uh, the last two years, I've really dove into reading uh, a lot more. You know, there's a time. There's you know, things come in in waves, and there was a time when I just didn't get around to reading a lot, but. I'm going to go kind of mainstream here. One of the most um, prominent books in my art career has been The Big Magic Book by Elizabeth Gilbert. And that was... She just simplified things so well in that book. And it really helped focus some of my attentions into specific places that I needed to work on for my art career and for my mindset as an artist. And then along with that, I also um, really recommend... So I guess that's a book that was inspiring. A book that has been really helpful too was uh, Jeff Gowen's Real Artists Don't Starve. And that was, um, again, just very um, down to earth and informative about um, a lot about mindset, um, changing your mindset and uh, changing your misconstrued beliefs about your career path and what it should look like and, and all that kind of stuff. And then lastly, um, I feel like this book has been kind of making its way into the lives of a, lot of, of a lot of people, but The Body Keeps the Score is a book about trauma. I can't remember the name of the author off the top of my head, but The Body Keeps the Score. It's a massive book. It's, it's a hard read, but it's super helpful about just understanding the way that events have taken place and how they keep up residence in your body, I guess, and how you can work through that and heal through that. I know myself, like I ignored a lot of that kind of stuff growing up, just tried to stay on the positive side. And it's, it really came back to bite me. So I, I needed to have some time um, and some information on how to work through that kind of stuff. So I don't know if I hit all your categories with that, but <laughs> but those are the
0: three books that came to mind that have been the most amazing for me. Those sound like really great recommendations and I'll put I'll put those in the show notes as well. It sounds like not only reading but of course art is almost therapeutic for you, would you say that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, for the last week, I haven't found the studio time that I'm used to having. I I booked myself teaching a lot more classes, which is one way that I make ends meet with my art career as I teach a lot of classes. By the end of last week, I was really feeling like the, just all of the emotions welling up that I hadn't taken the time to work through or get out through painting and, and whatnot. So it's, it's a very, I really try to tap into what I'm feeling and what's speaking through me um, emotionally or energetically and, and, it just helps, helps it not to get stuck (laughs) inside me.
0: Yeah. Do you find yourself gravitating to certain colors depending on your mood or certain uh, materials?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm very color oriented. Whatever, whatever I'm feeling, I usually can actually kind of see like a color surrounding that feeling. And I, I can use that as a main focus in whatever piece I'm working on. Um, And even just the way that I make my marks. I do use a lot of painting material, but then sometimes I'll add in like some uh, oil pastels or some water soluble pastels, depending on the medium that I'm using to um, just get some more texture and and directional strokes, I guess, into things. Uh, Especially in uh, 2021, I started a project where every day I made um, kind of an intuitive landscape, but it was It was all very play-based. So like I would set a timer for 10 to 15 minutes, kind of depending on what my time looked like for the morning. And I would just pick up whichever color it was that resonated with how I felt. And I would just move it around on paper, however I felt like moving it around. And sometimes it would be fast and sometimes it would be slow. And sometimes uh, it would end up looking like nothing at the end. And sometimes it would look like a landscape and sometimes it would look more like something from a dream or something. It was, um, but I just let it be however it was without, without any expectations. Um, and that's really informed a lot of my work this year in just remembering the importance of keeping things playful, I suppose, and not exclusively technique based.
0: (laughs) I love that. I feel like we could sort of transfer that into so many things that we do in life, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, children learn at the rate that they learn at because so many things are play-based. And so if we can incorporate more play into whatever it is that we're doing um, and exploration, then I think we would learn and transition into different things so much easier as adults as well. So opening up time to play, I think, is really, really important.
0: I think that'd be fun, like an on-the-job training, you know, just doing arts and crafts and playing, you know.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, right, totally. And actually, uh, this last February, I had the honor of going and speaking at a community college in El Paso. And I brought my watercolors and I walked the students through painting what they felt and just using that as a way to get into whatever it is that they're working on. Like some of the students were, you know, going into forensics. And I was like, if you can just stay curious and explore things and like even do a 10 minute watercolor play exercise before you go to work, like it's going to tap you into a different part of your brain to where it's going to keep you more passionate. I think, I think I've seen that with people, if they can include play in their lives, even if it's not, directly like playing in forensics, (laughs) like you're playing in some watercolor along with doing your job, then maybe you just stay, you stay passionate and awake to it a little bit easier, I think.
0: If you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful, both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. I was curious, do you ever paint or draw to music or do you specifically have to have it silent or does it depend on your mood? It depends on my
1: mood. I get, I get kind of overstimulated sometimes. And so sometimes I need it to be quiet, but, but then sometimes music helps keep me from overthinking. It kind of occupies the part of my brain that would start focusing in too much to where I'm nitpicking too much. And so I really enjoy listening to uh, music that's got like a little bit of some cultural flair to it here and there. So like, like French cafe music or, um, I don't know, Colombian music or something. it just kind of, I don't know. It jazzes up the space a little differently than, than when I'm just in the car listening to the radio.
0: <laughs> what are some of your favorite and least favorite parts about the creative process?
1: I mean, my least favorite part is the prep work, taking a moment or maybe several moments, maybe a month's worth of moments, or something to sketch out ideas, to work out composition, to work out what what colors I'll use and where. Um, that really, that process really helps me to go in with more confidence in the painting. But I really hate taking the time to do that. <laughs> and I mean, the the part that I love is just seeing it all come about once I've made some intentions like because the sketching process that I hate is kind of like my setting intentions for here's here's my main colors I'm going to use and here are the colors that are going to complement those to where maybe they're going to be like undertones or side by side tones or something that'll help present my focus the way I want it to be Um, but just watching it just feels so magical when it all starts to really click and come together yeah that's that's pretty great.
0: You mentioned that you've been teaching classes. Is it online or in person? Um, now I've been teaching in person.
1: Um, during the pandemic, I, t- I learned how to teach on Zoom and <laughs> had all my screens everywhere so people could see what I was working on and see my face and <laughs> and, and all that. So I have taught virtually, but now everything's in person. And um, I live in Buda, Texas, which is just a little south of Austin, and they have a wonderful little art center that, again, it opened just about six weeks before the pandemic shut, shut everything down. But I've kind of walked with them through it all. And we've been able to offer classes still. And I, so I teach there um, and do classes for adults and classes for kids. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I really like it. It's a great community to be a, to be a part of.
0: Oh, well, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. What is something surprising about teaching that you didn't expect?
1: I think how symbiotic it's become with my art practice. The energy that I give to teaching, it comes back tenfold through the enthusiasm or the creativity that I see in my students. And then that just spurs me on to become that much better and to to come back with even more energy into my classes. It just keeps going full circle like that. Um, actually, in college, I swore... Up and down and left and right, in every which way that I would not teach. Like, I was not, I was gonna be a studio artist. And I was gonna sit in my studio and paint, and probably like my partner would bring me meals whenever I was hungry or something <laughs> like super romanticized about it, you know? But then uh, I started teaching out of necessity for some more uh, solid income, and I really fell in love with it. And I think the the biggest thing about it is that I really like talking about art. Like it's one of my favorite things to do is just talking about art. <laughs> I don't even have to make it all the time. And so it just it gives me a really nice avenue and outlet to do that with people who actually want to hear about it.
0: <laughs> that sounds fantastic. I'm so glad you've been able to find, you know, your niche in your community and inspire other people to explore yeah. and create. Yeah, I really love it. So what is some of the advice regarding art that you ignore and some of the advice that you always follow? Advice that
1: I always follow, I'd say is, I I guess the advice that I'm trying to follow the most as of my current journey is to take care of your mind. (laughs) That's the artist community that I've found myself in. That was one of the main things that we started conversing around was you have to take care of your mind. I work with a coach and I, uh, you know, we, we talk about, we, we hit on different topics revolving around mindset and um, how to work through blocks and stuff. And that's, that's been amazingly helpful. I never would have guessed how helpful it's been. Uh, It's just gotten me on the track to actually where I want to go rather than what, (laughs) what, whatever I can kind of scrounge up or whatever, and then the advice that I don't follow is I I like to dabble in a lot of mediums and in a lot of different topics. Um, I've really, I have a lot of landscape work I've made out of as, as of recently, but I am allowing myself to make work that's figurative and abstract as well right now to kind of come up and sidle up along my landscape work. And so, so I guess the staying in a niche is really the the thing that i'm ignoring and then also not being hard on myself if i don't have a consistent studio practice i think that's letting myself notice my own rhythms and how they need to ebb and flow consistency is key i think in a studio practice but like not being too disciplinary and on yourself you know it's it's got to it's got to be you got to be kind to yourself. So I think, yeah, that's that's what comes to mind right now.
0: I think it's great that you're forging your own path and you're not necessarily letting other people dictate or like classic rules dictate what you want to do with your art. You know, you're, you're doing your own thing and that's important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, much more, you know, there's, there is such a A grind mentality to every single kind of entrepreneurialism, you know, and so that really started to take a a toll on my health. And so I've learned that it's okay, that my path looks different. And, um, and I need it to look different. And so learning to be nurturing to myself, and to my business, you know, and pushing myself when I can, but resting when I need to as well, it's been very much more of an enjoyable journey (laughs) that way.
0: And speaking of past, I mean, did you always envision yourself doing art even when you were younger as a career?
1: Um, I did. Yeah. I I think I was 13 when I decided that I really wanted to be an artist. Um, And that was, I was taking some drawing classes in high, or in, I guess I was junior high at the time. My instructor helped me to draw a portrait. And from there, I just kept drawing portraits. And I ended up all my friends in junior high wanted me to draw a picture of Leonardo DiCaprio from from Romeo and Juliet. I remember movie. that one. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, I put it, I, I made the drawing. And then one of my friend's dads took it to Kinko's and made copies of it and told me, you should sell these out of your locker or something. So I, I started selling copies of the Leonardo DiCaprio portrait out of my locker. For, I think it was probably like $10 a print or something, maybe even $5 a print. But, but I kind of, I don't know, I guess it just gave me that, that little spark that this is, this is really fun. This is what I want to do. And, um, and I just fell in love with, it just resonated with me more than anything else,
0: I guess is really what it was. Obviously, you do a lot of art and work with a lot of different mediums. But if you could try any other creative art besides what you are currently engaged in, what would it be? I have
1: this affinity, I guess, towards um, bending gender constructs in a way. And so I really would love to get more into carpentry and even like welding, sculpture welding and stuff, um, which I briefly touched and dabbled in in college. But, uh, you know, it's so much more of a setup (laughs) to have that kind of stuff, but to be able to make sculptural things out of wood and out of metal, that that would be really fabulous at some point in time. Yeah.
0: That sounds really cool, but like maybe a lot of equipment involved.
1: Yes. Yes. Definitely need like a workshop <laughs> and like some fireproofing and stuff like that. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. Well there you go. You've got some goals.
1: Yes, right.
0: <laughs> so um, onto a more serious question. Did you have any internal or external barriers? to reaching where you are in your career right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have two kids and they're 11 and 14 now. They are wonderful and I like they've they've fulfilled so much in my life and and given me so much purpose. Um but being a mother was definitely definitely was challenging for me because I wasn't able to spend four hours in my studio just completely zoned into my painting and not caring about anything else and being able to say, Oh, I'm going to cancel dinner and just keep working and, and stuff like that. And I, um, I just wasn't quite sure. I I became a mom right out of college uh, within six months, six months, maybe a year out of college, whatever it was. And, um, and I just had no idea how challenging the balance of it all was going to be. And so I did try to stay creative through teaching classes and through making little baby steps on paintings here and there. But my, my dream and my desire to be further down the road um, was very challenged by the time that I needed to spend being a mom. And so I did, I found other ways to be creative while being a mom, you know, through cooking meals and through, uh, you know, just finding ways to explore the the growth of a baby even, and just bring them up in a way that felt just the most wholesome and right. And, and then just running a household too. You know, I, I did have the opportunity to be a stay at home mom for a lot of years and that was really wonderful. And I know that some artists do both, but I was not able to do both very well. And so um, finally, when when my daughter went to kindergarten, I started like trying to dig through it all again and see like, okay, how can I make this a part of my life again and a part of my goals again? And it was really slow going, too. And I think that's the second part of it is all the mindset blocks that I had to work through. And so, through therapy and through um, having a coach that I worked with, um, I was able to start breaking through some of the barriers that I had set for myself and, and just some of the habits, even that, um, that I grew up with, that weren't constructive to the lifestyle that I really wanted. So, yeah, I'd say, you know, being a mom and then mindset stuff, those are the two main barriers that I had to, to kind of address and re- reconstruct around.
0: It sounds like you've done a lot of wonderful growth, and you and you're on the path that you know you've always hoped to be. But yeah. you know, many creatives definitely deal with mindset and other other issues in in their own ways. You know, whether it's artists, musicians, actors, it, it seems to be prevalent in the creative field mm-hmm. to sort of have to work through all that. Do you have any advice for young students who want to go in? into the field in regarding mindset like any any one singular piece of advice
1: if you can spend time just really listening to yourself and feeling when there's a resistance that comes up and be curious about it i think the biggest practice for me was that if something didn't feel right i would push it away or i would try to like i would try to just be like okay, well, that doesn't feel right. You're not there. You're going to, you know, that seems like it's not helping me get to where I want to go. And so I would kind of bury it or push it away, or even be negative towards it. And then uh, a phrase that I like is, you know, what, what you resist persists. (laughs) And so, you know, what, what you push away, what you bury, it's, it's going to keep bubbling up and it will be very frustrating <laughs> because it'll it's the same lesson or it's the same thing over and over. And so I'd say getting to where you can be curious about those things and ask questions about them to yourself. Ask questions about, you know, what what are what is that thing wanting to make happen? What's its purpose? What's if the purpose doesn't resonate with you, ask a question. Well, what if we did it differently? What if what if we Thought about it this way or something. Um, those, like being curious and asking questions like that, has been um, probably the biggest breakthrough kind of practice that I've had to where I can let things kind of pass without them coming back up again. And, you know, things will, things, it's like, like the phrase goes, um, you know, healing's not linear. So it's not like once you deal with it, you won't have to deal with it again. But at least, I am noticing that it's not the same struggle over and over and over anymore. It's, it is um, a bit different each time. So that's, that's my main encouragement to everybody.
0: (laughs) Excellent advice. Thank you. (laughs) It's, it's one of those things where y'all have to remember that from time to time. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And it, it can touch in so many different areas, whether it's your beliefs about your finances, your beliefs about money in general, your beliefs about what it means to be successful, um, what it means to fail, your beliefs about what being an artist is, and yeah, all, all the different things.
0: <laughs> Do you find that as you've worked through your barriers and, and overcome them or found ways to be more successful, has that translated into different ways that your art has come out? It has.
1: I think it's, my art is coming out now easier. It's, it's just like, okay, this wants to get made today. I'm going to make it. And, um, it's, I think through, through honoring the barriers by being curious about them and letting them be there, letting them pass when they're, when you've worked through it. Like, I I know I'm using a lot of like therapy language, probably. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, um, through that, you become more authentic. I think once you start being authentic to yourself, then everything you make starts becoming more authentic. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing it is to be able to create something and you know not worry about judging it from your own point of view. You know, right? Mm-hmm. To just Absolutely. let the art be art. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And let it do whatever it's going to do out in the world too. Um, I I think a barrier that I had had too was worrying about like hanging on to pieces or letting them go like original pieces. And, um, and and more experienced artists told me like, this is just another one of your children. And when it's time for it to go out in the world, it's going to go do whatever it's going to go do. And um, And I really love that analogy with myself being a mom. And um, and knowing that one day my kids are going to go off and I'm not going to have any control over <laughs> over when they come back or, or what they're going to do. And, and just letting that be whatever
0: beautiful thing it can be for, for the world, I guess. So you work a lot with, you know, physical mediums, you know, paint and, and canvas. But have you ever had an interest in delving into digital art?
1: I have as far as meeting a need. You know, there's there's a lot of need out there for um, digital work, and there's a lot of solutions that can be provided through digital work. I really loathe working digitally, though. <laughs> um, I really, um, the tactile bit of uh, getting my hands a little messy or having unpredictable little things that are science-based happen because of certain pigments separating or being more wet or more dry when they react with one another. That's really satisfying for me. And I I know that there's a lot of really good digital programs out there now that try to simulate a lot of that kind of stuff. There's also the learning curve where I sit there and I go, I know how to do this with pen and paper, but I can't figure out how to do it here on this digital screen at least not without some trial and error and, you know, taking a course or learning or something, reading through whatever search engine <laughs> is presenting <laughs> to me. I will say the one positive that I have enjoyed with some digital sketching is just being able to have the undo button and being able to, to walk back a couple steps when you go, wait, I, I should have stopped with this color two or three marks ago. Um, now it's too much. So being able to hit the undo button a couple of times and back it up, that's, that's really satisfying. And I do, um, actually use digital art for making like project proposals for people. So if they're asking me about a commission or a mural, then I'll make a mock-up for them digitally. And that's a nice
0: way for them to be able to get a better idea of what's gonna go down with their art. (laughs) What is something you wish you'd known when you first started on your creative journey?
1: I wish that I would have known how hard it was going to be, <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> uh, and also maybe even just all of the all of the time. Maybe a more realistic. And I imagine this has changed throughout the years, so it it would probably be hard, and it probably will change throughout the years. So it's it's hard to put this into a prepackaged lesson for somebody, but uh, I guess. I would have loved to have had more of a realistic percentage view of the percentage of time that I would actually spend painting versus the percentage of time that I have to do admin or the percentage of time that I have to, um, just sit planning or scheduling or teaching. And, and also, and again, everyone's journeys is different. So it's hard to make this a prepackaged lesson, but, um, even just a realistic view of how long it takes some people to get to where they're financially sustainable in, a an art career and even what that can look like all the different avenues, which again has changed so much, just even in the last three years, how, how many different avenues there are for a creative to, to become financially stable with their art practice, you know, getting, getting into, uh, online offers or classes or, or even, you know, now there's Patreon or, or different sites like that, where, yeah, there's just unlimited amounts of ways that you can make an income while you're still building your reputation as an artist. And like, for me, I would really love to, or I I am working towards towards making six figures a year. And, uh, and I would like for that to be through selling paintings and fine art prints. But as of now, like my journey definitely has the teaching as a part of supplementing income. And yeah, I guess I just would have loved to have a little foresight into all of the little different pieces because I literally, again, I might've just been in my own world with like a romantic idea, But I I really just thought that I would be painting most of my days and putting work in galleries. And uh, I imagine that that happens at some point and that maybe it will happen for me sometime. But but it's definitely different.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you're like probably didn't realize you'd have to do so many spreadsheets and paperwork in the meantime. Right. Exactly. And like taxes. Like what? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Those darn taxes. I know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So you talked about, you know, wanting to be able to sustain your living with selling art. Does the role of social media and Instagram come into that? Because so many artists, it's such a visual app. Is that something that you foresee yourself using or sort of uh, letting it blossom more in the future? Yeah,
1: it's it's a struggle for me, honestly. So I I have been kind of popping in and out of Instagram Uh using it as a marketing tool, using it as a sharing tool, using it as a connection tool. And, um, and it's been really great. The way that my brain works is that once I see a video, though, I kind of get looped into it and sucked into it. And so the since Instagram came out with its Instagram reels, um, I have a hard time being on the app, because all of a sudden I'm on there for five times longer than what I had planned to be on there for. So I'm exploring, I'm, I'm I'm kind of exploring how else I could be connecting and and putting content out for for people to network with me and, and connect with me that's not on Instagram, but, uh, and the, everything I do when I do th- something on Instagram, I'll put it on Facebook as well. So I have all of that kind of sort of going in the background, but it just, it really doesn't resonate with me because I have like that. Kind of begrudging relationship with it, where I'm like, "Don't suck me in, <laughs> don't do it." <laughs> um, and also, I have a hard time with the idea of putting more noise into that space, where I know other people struggle with that too. So, yeah, it's a work in progress for me right now. Um, I am exploring something like Patreon instead, uh, in order to put stuff out for people, but um, and engage with a the community there, but not have all of the noise of Instagram there. And I but I I'm not abandoning Instagram. I definitely have seen benefits from from just keeping people in the loop of what I'm doing, keeping people engaged. It's it's a journey for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Understandable. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a couple of fun questions. If you could bring back any creative person from the grave, who would it be?
1: I would actually I would like to bring back Vincent Van Gogh. Because there's so many, again, I'm going to touch into like my therapy and coaching that I'm resourcing, that I'm using right now, but there's just so much, so many resources for mental health now. I would just be curious to see what else he would blossom into, what other kind of work he would blossom into with all of the resources that we have today surrounding mental health.
0: Oh, that is is an excellent thought. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, If you were to bury a time capsule, what would you put in it? If I buried a time capsule,
1: I would probably put like a, one of my creative play sketches, maybe with all of the colors swirling around. I might put, um, I've got like some um, really gnarly fluorite earrings that are like I don't know. They just seem like for whatever reason that's popping into my head that they they should go in the time capsule. <laughs> and then maybe just like some sprigs of lavender something that just speaks of the earth and peace and beauty and something like that. Yeah.
0: Nice. If you could travel to any time period, what do you think it would be?
1: That's a hard one because I would want, I would want, um, I would want to be in a time period where there was more natural spaces and more wild spaces to be able to just kind of get lost in and be of the time period when I myself as a woman would know how to take care of myself as well in in that kind of a situation if I was kind of like out in the wilderness and where I would also have rights. So I don't know I don't know exactly which time period that would be um, maybe it would be a combination of other places in the world at different times in different a different year or something like that. But, but yeah, I would love to just be able to be a strong and independent woman with more natural spaces to expand into, I guess, and explore and stuff.
0: It sounds like nature is really important to you. Is there a place in the world you'd like to travel that you haven't been to yet?
1: Yeah, I've. I, I guess top on my list is is Iceland. I really like to go explore the peaks and the ranges and stuff there. And on my something I'm working towards is I'm uh, working on building up my practice with putting my art supplies in a backpack with like a day's worth of things and backpacking into a place and then setting up my, my stuff to paint and then, and then I'll come back. But, um, but eventually I would like to be doing more expeditions where I'm going out and gone for, you know, several days and, and painting and then maybe eventually leading expeditions out into places too. So that'd be like a painting workshop that people could follow me along into. So Who knows? Maybe we'll go to Iceland and paint.
0: (laughs) That sounds so fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be a a great different kind of a workshop, which some of those, I'm seeing some of those around, but um, everyone has their own little, little spin on things. So
0: we'll see. Last question before we wrap up. In your own words, what does living a creative life mean to you? Living a creative life to me means
1: kind of being effervescent with creativity, being having an output of some sort. And I don't think it has to be even anything that's necessarily visual or tangible or audible. But if you're being creative in the output of your energy, I think, or just even um, allowing your energy to be an output into the world, I think that that's creating so much that we can't see. So, just being conscious of that, yeah, so being so being an outputter, I suppose, <laughs> is part of it. <laughs> maybe a conscious outputter that that's maybe a better wrap up of that.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, Gina, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. It's been fun. yeah, and listeners, please check out Gina Destri. Her website will be in the show notes, and as always, keep listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like the show have a question? Stop by the Facebook and Instagram pages. Links are in the show notes or search for a creative piecemeal podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.